Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We're presented by The Athletic. God, it feels good to say that. Today on the show, we got Dave Dufour here. We're going to do the same thing we did on Friday with John Hollinger. Just Dave and I are going to go through the Western Conference side of the equation. Dave, how you doing, man? I'm good. I love that you brought in the big guns for this. You know, myself, John Hollinger. Yeah, I mean, John. I mean, you know, just the, the top of the industry, myself, John <laughs> Hollinger. I mean, I love, I mean, just a really genius idea on your part, if I, if I do say so myself. You know, Hollinger only worked in a front office for like a decade. You yeah. Know? Say, he and I are on the same level. It's, I mean, you know, I, I appreciate the skill of, of my colleague who is on the exact same level, uh, as far as respect from the basketball community at large, uh, as myself. Me and John Hollinger, basically one and the same. Which, you know, by the way, like you ever talk to <laughs> Hollinger, Hollinger would be like, yeah, it's true. No, I, <laughs> I, I really do love, love Hollinger. Um, it's funny because he was one of the few people that I hadn't gotten a chance to actually talk to. We had met a few times, yeah. and uh, this season at a Spurs game, like early on in the year, he was in town. And we sat there and we watched the whole game together, talking the entire time, and really it off. And I mean, ever since, like, I, I, we've been pretty good pals. I, I really do like, like John Hollinger a lot. Yeah, um, but yeah, you're right. He probably would say that's not ridiculous at all, Dave. One of, of the ridiculous. yeah, one of the nicest people, one of the like the underrated, sneaky, funniest people with his dry sense of humor. Like oh, once yeah. you realize that he's just like joking around about a lot of stuff, he's just. Hollinger's the greatest, but well, this is... I, I wasn't on Twitter before Hollinger, like, got hired, so I yeah. didn't know that his his Twitter game was so solid. Actually, I'm trying to think if I was. I might have caught the tail end of it with John, but I, I didn't catch more than that. Um, yeah, no, John's the best. This is not a John Hollinger podcast, though. This is a <laughs> podcast about the Western Conference. Like I said at the top, we're going to do the same thing we did with John, uh, running through each team. Obviously, the West has more than nine teams. There are 13 teams that are going down to the bubble uh, in Orlando. So we're going to run through these teams and discuss just what we're excited about, what player we're looking forward to, how this could all fall apart, and what uh, general thoughts we have on the teams heading in. Uh, every team, it seems like in the West, has a pretty disparate set of priorities. Some teams are legitimately contending for a title. Other teams are kind of using this time as development uh, ground. So I'm excited to see that aspect of it, to kind of check out uh, which teams are... Uh, which teams are capable of making a deep run and which teams are getting the most out of this uh, little eight-game sample that they're going to get an opportunity to play. Now, I'll just kind of start there with you, Dave. I mean, what are you most looking forward to uh, in regard to the Western Conference with the NBA's return? Um, I mean, honestly, I, I'm really looking forward to watching these young guys and seeing how they respond. Um you know, we we always talk about the rookie wall, but young players in general, those first couple of seasons, as they're getting used to the the NBA grind, with the travel, with the you know obviously the game schedule, playing that many games for the first time in their life is a big deal. I mean, it's a lot, and so I'm really curious to see who looks kind of refreshed, and in particular, you know, in Memphis and New Orleans, where you know they they've got all this rookie uh, and young player intrigue. 
Uh, I want to see if these guys have taken advantage of the downtime and we're putting in work and, and, you know, getting good rest and working out and all these things. Um, they're the ones I'm most excited to watch because they're the unknown quantity. With, with the other guys, I'm expecting the veterans to just take it easy and kind of coast through these eight games. Uh, except for Portland, and I think because I think Damian Lillard is going to try to score 400 points in eight games. Um, but yeah, with the other guys, they're they're more of a known quantity. So yeah, I'm looking forward to the young guys in the West. Yeah, I was just on my buddy uh, David Gardner's podcast over at Bleacher Report. I did his show this morning, and Damian Lillard was the guy that I brought up. I was just like. This guy, every single time that he's on the floor, wants to just tear the heart out of the opposition in the best possible way, and I'm super excited to see that uh, in a setting like Orlando where there are some teams that might use these games as a ramp-up ground. Damian Lillard is going to go in ready, and he is going to try and tear up uh, this entire competition. And I think that when we get to some of those teams down at the bottom uh, of the West, the differing priorities there are going to be really interesting and kind of the differing ways that they're going to be looking at uh, how they're evaluating this this time in Orlando because a team like Portland, this these eight games, I think that most of the time as evaluators, we would not want to put too much stock in them. For Portland, who hasn't had Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins all year, who hasn't had a great year in general, I would imagine they're going to be looking at these eight games as kind of a barometer for how they should go about uh, building their team this offseason and what they need to add. Uh, Do they think this team has a chance to compete? These games actually really matter for the direction that Portland is going to go in the future. A team like the Lakers, a team like uh, you know Sacramento, Probably not as important as the entirety of the regular season, but with Portland, these eight games are almost going to be more representative of their future than what we saw in the regular season because they're going to have Nurkic, Nurkic and Collins back. Um, to a certain degree, I agree with you. I think it is a nice chance for them to see that combo. Um, but part of their reality is that they're kind of locked into this roster minus moving Nurkic or, or CJ. And, like, Zach Collins isn't going anywhere. He's young, promising, missed the whole season due to injury. So I, I can't imagine they're going to get enough of a read on him in these eight games that to make any sort of decision uh, as to whether or not they think they could move him for a piece that they could use. Uh, Nurkic looks to be a long-term piece for them. I mean, obviously he needs to come back from this injury. Uh, but I don't imagine they're going to be doing anything with him. I think CJ would be the guy that they would move. But, again... I think that when you have a team in the position they were in all season where they had some awful injury luck after like yep. four years of fantastic injury luck where they didn't weren't losing games to injury, I, I want to say they were like number one or number two, like two years in a row, which is just unheard of. So uh, I think that what we're going to see is they're going to come out, they're going to throw out the lineups that they want to look at next season, just see what they look like. But I, I wouldn't expect any sort of big decisions uh, before the trade deadline next year. I mean, if they were going to make a move, I think CJ is the guy that would get moved. And I mean, he's probably their best asset as far as, you know, um, 
you know, not you can't you can't trade Damian Lillard. <laughs> so right. you could trade CJ McCollum and maybe get some some pretty good players back in return. So uh, I, I'm with you. I think that it's a, it's going to be an evaluation period for them. But I don't think that this is going to weigh all that heavily on that front office. I mean, Neil O'Shea is pretty conservative on these things. You know, but it's interesting too, though. Like his draft philosophy has been anything but conservative. Uh, he's consistently gone for the home run swing, right? You look back, Anthony Simons, uh, Gary Trent was a freshman at Duke. Uh, you know, Damian Lillard was a guy that you know was at Weber State. He wasn't the GM when Dame was picked, was he? No, I'm thinking back on it. I can't remember. No, he wasn't. Yeah, I don't think he was. Um, no. But Anthony Simons is another guy. That Nasir Little though. is another guy. CJ. Um, he's really taken swings typically, mm-hmm. uh, especially lately in the NBA draft or in the NBA draft. So I wonder if we do start to see him get a little bit more. And plus, I mean, him he has tended toward conservative in regard to uh, keeping the status quo, mm-hmm. but. His biggest misstep as a general manager was being conservative and keeping the status quo with guys like Alan Crabb, Maurice Harkless, and Myers Leonard in the offseason that kind of capped them into this core. So I wonder if we start to see a bit of a shift in philosophy. And additionally, uh, guys like Anthony Simons, guys like, uh, or I guess the asset that will be their draft pick at number, let's say, 12 to 15, Right. Mm -hmm. That actually could be a very real asset for them to be able to move and decide to go down the road of potentially uh, potentially trying to fill this roster out with a older veteran that makes Mm -hmm. sense for the Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum core. Or do they decide to go down the road of trying to kind of keep both the future and the present in their line of sight. And see, that's hard to do, right? It's hard to straddle the fence. I will say, I do think Portland right now is in good position. As long as Nurkic can come back and and is good, not just passable. Like, he needs to be good. He needs to be the defensive boost that, that he was for this team when he first came over. He needs to be able to take some of the playmaking away from Dame and, and open things up for those guys so that, you know, Damian Lillard should be getting more opportunities away from the ball. I mean, it'd be good for him. It'd be good for this offense to vary their attack. So that's that's priority number one. But I think they nailed Gary Trent. Gary Trent looks like a starting wing. I mean, I think he's a starting two guard in the NBA right now. I mean, he was playing some fantastic basketball when everything shut down. Um, so that's huge. I mean, like if you did move CJ, you've got a guy that's ready to step into the starting lineup. He's big. He can actually defend. He can shoot like crazy. Um, They've got next year, obviously not in in the bubble, but they're going to have Trevor Ariza next year because I can't imagine he's going to opt out on his contract. Uh, From what I understand, Melo really liked it there, so maybe they bring him back in a a bench role. He was fantastic for that team, not just on the court, but also in the locker room. I've heard so much from Jason Quick and and other people in Portland about the leadership role that Melo kind of took on, And, and it's clearly Dame's team. But having that other that other guy, especially a guy like Carmelo that players respect so much, that's huge. And he was good on the floor, too, and not just on offense. His defense, you know, you don't want to trust him in space. But he was able to actually make an impact on that end through his leadership, talking a lot. 
um, apparently, you know, he really changed the, the defensive culture for them into something that was more like when Nurkic is out there. So, you know, I, I do think that this team is in a good position to be able to uh, compete next year as long as Nurkic is healthy and potentially improve the depth of this team if they were to move on from from CJ. I just don't expect it to happen. I mean, this is just – that would be very out of character for that front office. Yeah, you know, you brought up Gary Trent. I don't know that I'm quite as in on him being starter, but, you know, over the course of his last 23 games, he averaged 12 points uh, while shooting 46 from the field and 40 from three. Uh, he, he was really, really good late. He was really, he really fantastic. useful. And he can uh, defend. He can really defend. Like, the, the, the Wesley Matthews comps feel so lazy – but it's because they're pretty accurate. Like he, yeah. like they found a Wesley Matthews clone, and it's uh, you know I, I hate to even say that, but it's pretty true. Like he's a he's kind of a, got that bulldog mentality, and he can really really shoot. I mean, he's better well, elite than so much out there. Yeah. So uh, you know that it's pretty big. I mean, to have that in in a position of scarcity in the league, that's a super valuable asset. Even if you just wanted to to see what you could get on the open market, like in a trade. Um, but in particular to have that guy on your basketball team, that's that's huge. Yeah, and this will be the section on Portland, so I'll just kind of close it up by saying the guy that I'm most interested in seeing is just obviously Damian Lillard. I mean, I understand oh, yeah. that Portland fans probably want to see Yusuf Nurkic and Zach Collins. Like, there are a lot of guys that we could pick in terms of being the guy that you're most excited to see. But I genuinely think Damian Lillard is going to come out and try and drop 40 every fucking night. That's going to be glorious. Oh, yes. We had, like, almost a two-month stretch where he was, like, the best player in the league. Oh, yeah. This is by far his career season. Yeah. Uh, like, we – tomorrow's Damian Lillard's birthday as well, and he turns 30. I really want to note that I hope that we don't look back and feel like we took what Damian Lillard is for granted. That guy is a fucking superstar. He is – so goddamn good. He this is his age 29 year old season. He set a career high in field goal percentage, in three point percentage, in points per game, in assists per game, and by the way, he did it on a team where teams just had to fucking load up to try to stop him every single night. He was the guy that uh, teams had to try and stop because CJ was not on it this year. They were without Nurkic. They were without Collins. They were not nearly as well rounded a team. The whole point of what defenses were doing this year was to try and stop Damian Lillard, and nobody could fucking do it. That guy, he, there is a very real case that Damian Lillard is my favorite player in the NBA right now. I love him unconditionally. Wow. I don't know if you've seen this kid, John Morant, but uh, I think that's my favorite player. <laughs> I like uh, John no, Morant, Dame, too. Dame awesome. like I, yeah, he's Dame just, is just it's so a good different and, kind, man. Yeah. Dame, well, Dame could be the best player on a championship team. Right, like Damian Lillard is a tier one player for me, um, yeah. and Ja is just exciting as hell. But yeah, Damian Lillard is—he is good enough to be the best player on a championship team. And if Portland can just put a couple of more pieces around him, this is a team that could actually do something next season. You know, injury luck this year was awful. The worst. I mean, I—I I did a podcast about the Blazers every single week this season. They had a lot of rough injury luck. Um, but if Nurkic is good, if Collins can be this this weak side helper, defensive guy who could stretch the floor for you on offense, and, and he doesn't even really have to, like, it's not even that he has to be a positive on offense. He just needs to be 
fine. He just needs to tread water. They have so much offense even without him. So uh, I, I think that this team could potentially take a big step forward next year. The final question I'll just give you, like let's remove like James Harden, who is more of a two-guard and plays next to Russell Westbrook. Let's remove Luka Doncic, who uh, is more of like a point forward guard hybrid weird you know mix of player types is Damian Lillard the best point guard in the NBA right now yeah I guess since Steph isn't isn't playing um right I I don't know you know it's tricky man like because all these guys just have different roles you know I mean the fact that Harden can put up 35 and 10 is a is a pretty big deal um, and I like I know you, you, you kind of moved him off the ball for, for the purposes of this conversation, but I think him and Dame play the same position, you know. Yeah, lead, he's reasonable. Lead ball handler, right? Um, it, what Dame is able to do to the defense, though, he's got less help than those other guys. At least this season he did. And, and I think that, um, you know, the job that he had to do was just more difficult. Having Russell Westbrook is a hell of a luxury. For James Harden, and, and not to say that James Harden doesn't take on a huge workload because he definitely does, but he has release valves. Uh, Dame doesn't really have that. You know, CJ, like you said, he had a down season. CJ's best run came when Dame was out with a back injury. Yep. That's when we got to see CJ do some playmaking and stuff, which they need when Damian's out there. So um, I, I think that he played the best basketball. Given all of the hurdles and headaches and limitations of that team, I, I I don't think it's a hot take to say that he probably had the best season of anybody in the league, uh, while also not being the MVP. Yeah, no, I, I don't think he's the MVP. He I think he Giannis. Didn't, he is... didn't win enough, right? It's Giannis. Yeah, he didn't win enough, but yeah, I do think that that he had you know probably the best season of anybody in the league, at least offensively. He was a whole other story. He was better, but not he's not all NBA like Giannis. Yeah, Damian Lillard. I don't know if I would go as far as saying he had a better season than Giannis, uh, even in general. Uh, Giannis's defense is just freaking absurd. But Lillard, I think, was the best point guard in the NBA this year. I, I think there's like a very real case. He probably was not better overall than Luka Doncic this year, but it's an argument. I think like it's a very real question in my mind. As to if I had to pick one player right now to win me a game, would I take Lillard or Doncic? I think I'm I would Lillard. take Dame. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I think Dallas is a better team if Dame replaces Luka. That's a great question just because of how heliocentric they are around Luka's specific skills. Mm-hmm. I, man, it's hard to pass up the guy who averaged like 29-9-9 and nine while uh, yeah. leading the literal best offense in NBA history. Yeah, but he's he's also young. Like, Damian Lillard is just a better player right now. And I think, you know, a one-for-one swap doesn't quite work because, like you said, the, the offenses are so different. But I think just in a vacuum, Dame is a better player, and they figure out a way to be a better team. That That's just, uh, you know, my gut feeling on it. I have no idea. It's a it's an experiment we can't have play out. But I do know that Damian Lillard right now is just a better player. That being said... Luka is almost a tier one player after two seasons in the league. It's, uh, you know, pretty incredible. So uh, it's not a knock on Luka at all. Yeah, yeah, it's it's totally ridiculous. Let's uh, let's get into what this podcast is supposed to be. This became a Damian Lillard love fest for twenty minutes. Uh, He's this, good. We should get yeah. more of that. <laughs> 
the, the Game Theory Podcast is the foremost propon- proponent of Damian Lillard uh, on, for my new listeners over at The Athletic. So let's get into uh, this Western Conference bubble preview. The Portland Trailblazers, we're not going to talk about them anymore because we have talked about them for a little bit too much, but we're going to move into the Lakers. What do What are your general thoughts on where the Lakers are right now? How do you think that this stoppage is going to help them? Because I think that it could go either way just in regard to how does LeBron's body respond? Does the time off help him? Or does the fact that he has to stop start kind of fuck with the body of a 36-year-old a little bit? Um. Yeah, I just don't know that we can treat LeBron like we would anyone else. That That's actually part of this. Um, we have to just consider him a complete exception to every rule. So I'm going to say, knowing LeBron the way that we do, I guarantee his body is in good shape. I guarantee he took advantage of the downtime getting rest. I definitely think he didn't stop playing basketball. You know, it's LeBron James. I, I'm sure that uh, everything is he's his body is going to be as ready to go as it can be. How are they going to handle the ramp up? I'm sure that um, they're going to ease into it and he's going to be fine. I'm operating under the assumption that they're just coming in healthy and rested and ready to go and that they're still going to be one of the two or three best teams in the league. Um, they were my favorite because of their ability to go big or big small where they, they have Anthony Davis at the center and LeBron at the four. Um, Dwight Howard was fantastic for them this season. Their ability, their ability to throw out a lineup that really has three bigs, two of whom can at least be passable on the perimeter, one of which Anthony Davis is really good guarding on the perimeter. Um, they can switch so much. It's one of the few teams that I don't worry about their point of attack defense. So that's a that's a luxury. I mean, it's them and the Bucks, right? Like the Bucks have good point of attack defense, but even if they didn't, their their backline help is so good, it doesn't really matter. So the rim is going to be protected. Um, but the Lakers, I, I think they're going to be exactly what we saw in you know in February March. I think they're going to be good to the point of being dominant. They basically have two teams that that I feel comfortable saying could beat them. Um, all things being equal. Now, we, we don't know what they're going to look like. Maybe they're going to be really rusty. I'm not sure. Uh, I just don't think that I would bet against LeBron James. I'm with you that I wouldn't bet against LeBron James. I think that they're going to be one of the best teams. I'm also very aware that we are certainly going to get one of those games or one of those storylines where – People start melting down about LeBron and the Lakers in the regular season because they don't they don't take it not necessarily as seriously, but they use the starting eight games to kind of work themselves into the season. Uh, it wouldn't stun me if they go like three and three in their first six games because they're just getting oh, prepped yeah. and getting ready, uh, and that won't actually mean anything. I think exactly. Like that's I'm not at all concerned about the Lakers based off of the postseason. Now, where I am a little bit interested to see the Lakers is once they get to the playoffs, how do they match up specifically with the Clippers who can go smaller than they can? Uh, How do they match up with that small Clippers lineup? Do they decide to go just full on Anthony Davis and LeBron James at the four and the five? and just try and match up that way. Because realistically, the Clippers can go like hyper small 
if they want to. They can go like Marcus Morris, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, still maintain length and size on the court, but that's a very, very skilled small ball lineup that has mm-hmm. all of the space in the world to operate. Yeah, I mean, and Paul George is not exactly small. Right, no, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. like a, it's an enormous small lineup. Yeah, I mean, they can do, they can do big small too. That's the thing, right. and, and this is, again, it's, that versatility is, when you look at the teams that really have a shot at the finals, you know, there's like six. The versatility stands out first and foremost, and I think that in particular in a unique situation like this, having that versatility is a huge advantage, even more so than under normal circumstances, because you have so many options that you can throw at the wall and figure out what works, and that is where these eight games for all these teams are going to be a laboratory. For the ones that aren't fighting for playoff positioning and things like that, for a team like Dallas, like I, Dallas is going to want to move up in the standings and they have a good shot at it. I think they're going to come out with, what, with their best lineups day one and they're going to be trying to win games. But I fully expect to see the Lakers and Clippers get a little weird with it. Yeah, and we'll, we'll kind of talk about this whenever we get into the middle section of these teams. Like, there's actually just so much room to maneuver for teams like Denver, Utah, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Houston. These teams can actually genuinely move up and down the standings in a way that makes their lives much easier Uh for the rest of the playoffs. So uh, I'm going to be really interested to see that race. But with the Lakers, who's the guy that you're most excited to watch going forward? Uh, Danny Green. Danny you love Green, Danny Green. I do love Danny Green. I am, I am the president of the Danny Green fan club. I can tell you whether a person knows about basketball based on their opinion about Danny Green. So Danny Green is the guy on the Lakers that, that I want to watch, and, and mostly because – you know, in the later rounds in last year's Raptors run, Danny Green was a little bit rough shooting-wise. Um, the Lakers are going to need him to knock down shots. He's essentially their only real like knockdown three-point shooter, uh, unless we think J.R. Smith is going to you know do something crazy when he's out there. Um, he's the guy they really need to step up in his role, especially you know playing 30 minutes a night. They're going to need him to knock down threes when they're available. And he was pretty good this year. He was fine. Uh, but he needs to step it up a little bit. Like, they're going to need him to be San Antonio Spurs playoff Danny Green. And uh, that'll take a lot of pressure off LeBron, a lot of pressure off Anthony Davis. It's going to open up the paint for everybody else. Um, you know, it's so funny to think about a guy who's a role player. You know, he's, I think he's the third best player on that team. Um, and it's so funny to talk about him like he's just a forgotten man. But he is because, you know, he plays with LeBron and Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and, you know, Rajon Rondo. So, you know, the names that are important for this team, he might be the least recognizable. But I think on the court, he is every bit as important as the other role players, uh, the big-time role players on this team. Is it unfair for me to say Frank Vogel? Like, it kind of goes against the – what I wanted from the question, right? Like the spirit of the question. But I'm going to be fascinated to see how Vogel plays the chess match against some of these matchups uh, in the Western Conference. Uh, Is he as willing to go small consistently uh, in the playoffs? Because the Lakers have been willing to go with Anthony Davis the five uh, semi-regularly throughout the regular season, but I wouldn't say that it's certainly been far from their default, right? Right. How willing is he to do that 
uh, for over half of games if he has to. Uh, I'm not sure, to be honest. I think it's going to be matchup. It's going to be all about the matchup. You know, I, right. I don't think you're going to see Anthony Davis out there trying to guard uh, Jokic. Jokic. Probably not, could, no. could literally put a hurt on him. Yeah, I don't think he'll be out there trying to guard Jokic, but if a team like Houston rolls up, are they going to try and outsize Houston for the first two games, or are they going to just immediately match small? Because that game that Houston played against the Lakers before the stoppage, that was a little bit scary to me if I was a Lakers fan. The the I'm not too worried about Houston against a, a big squad like the Lakers because, again, they, they can go big, small. I mean, Anthony Davis is still going to be pretty big. LeBron's still pretty big. I mean, it, right. you know, they just don't have people – Houston doesn't have anybody to match up with those guys. So I think if you're the Lakers, you stick to your own game plan rather than trying to match a team like Houston. And if if they feel like the big stuff is working, and it's going to work on the glass in particular, um, if it's working, stick with it. I think Vogel is – he's been pretty good this year. He's been good at, with using the two big lineups and three big lineups. I, I think they're going to be – I think they're going to be fine. Vogel probably has the easier job – of any other coach in the West because, you know, you literally can just say, well, this isn't working. Try it again. You know, try something else. Yeah, I don't think he has as many options as you do. Like, I think that the option is just Anthony Davis, the five. And that's a great fucking option, right? Like, that's uh, that's an option that teams across the league would kill to have, right? But mm-hmm. if that doesn't work, and it doesn't work as well, let's say, as – what we're hoping it does for the Lakers' sake. Uh, it's going to be interesting to me to see if he just tries to go back big or does he try and find a different adjustment like playing Kuzma at the four with LeBron at the three? Uh, does he play something like uh, like how how involved is someone like Contavious Caldwell-Pope in closing lineups? Uh, what do they be, do? He should be closing for them. I agree. Uh, yeah. it, the closing lineup realistically, if I was running the team, which I'm not, would be Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Danny Green, LeBron James, and Anthony Davis. I might have Dwight in for Caruso, depending on who they're playing. Sure, if they're playing Jokic or someone like that, right. I get having a big in. But, man, I don't know. Like, I don't think this team has as many options as, say, the Clippers, who we can transition to now. And I think the Lakers are... I don't think I would pick them to go to the finals. I do think I would pick them or pick the Clippers. But the Lakers obviously do have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, which is the best twosome in the league, and that oftentimes is enough. Well, and don't forget what LeBron can do during the playoffs. I mean, LeBron is one of the few players in the league that can completely bend everything about a given game to his will. If you remember the the 2015 finals – the way, uh, you know, no Kyrie, no Kevin Love, the way he just, I mean, he he ground out possessions and completely changed the entire pace of the game. Now, they lost. The, the Cavs lost. They didn't have the talent. But I still think when you have that skill, it is such an ace up your sleeve. And if they get into these sticky situations, not only do you have LeBron able to do that, you also have Anthony Davis, who's one of the five best players in the league. Right. So I, I just think that that kind of stuff goes a long way. And, and by the way, Kawhi is very good. Paul George is also very good. The Clippers are very good. If the Clippers were to beat the Lakers, I would not be shocked. So, and here's why I think that I would pick the Clippers. The Clippers, 
do have the star power. They have, you know, arguably the best closer uh, a playoff team can present in Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you can take LeBron. You can take Kawhi. I don't think I would take Giannis over either of them in a last three minutes of a playoff game in a tie game scenario. I, I just trust Kawhi's shot making mm-hmm. at a point where even though Giannis has gotten a lot better from the mid range, I still just trust Kawhi that much more. Uh, and LeBron is just obviously, like you said, able to bend opposing teams to his will in such a real substantial way. It's not to take anything away from Giannis, but I think that mixed with Kawhi and Paul George, both of whom are top 12 players in the league, the ability for the Clippers to match up either offensively or defensively, either in terms of size or lack of size, is just something that other teams can't do. They they do not have the sheer breadth of options and depth that the Clippers have. It is really just totally absurd what they can do. They can play super big with Avica Zubats, who has been really sneaky under the radar good this year. Great uh, as a rim protector. Uh, he causes real issues for them, and if they get matched up against Denver, he is going to be able to play 25 minutes a night against Nikola Jokic and not have a problem. Uh, and obviously they'll match up Harrell a little bit on Jokic, but uh, that I'm a little bit more worried about. But they right. have the body to be able to throw uh, at Jokic and then – I would imagine that we might even see a little bit of Joachim Noah in that series if they end up with Denver. I would imagine that basically a Denver series is why we see the Clippers is interested and they are in keeping Noah around. Um, They can go super small with, like I said, Morris, Kawhi, Paul George. They can go kind of medium-sized small, even though Montrezl Harrell is physically smaller. Then Marcus Morris, I see him as more of a true center than Marcus Morris. You can play a bench lineup with Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell that can really get rolling. Uh, You can let them just kind of run the show if they're having success. You can let Kawhi Leonard and Paul George run the show if they're having success. They have Patrick Beverly to throw out against elite level lead guards. They have two unbelievable wing stoppers and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to throw out against these wings. They have the rim protector and size that they need. There's just nothing that you can present to the Clippers that they can't counter with. With the Lakers, I think that there are some small lineups that could cause them some issues. With the Clippers, you just can't really, you can't present them with an issue that isn't solvable by Doc Rivers, I think. Yeah, I think you're, I mean, I think you're right. Again, it's, it's going to, those two are like 1A and 1B. They're so close. I just give him the edge because of LeBron. And it's not even that I think is LeBron, LeBron is necessarily a better player day to day than Kawhi. It's more just that I trust LeBron's ability to control the action. And in these weird circumstances, I think that that's going to be part of it. Being able to, you know, come in, take over the game in a way that only LeBron really can do in the league right now is going to have a huge advantage. Now, you know, yeah. is has Paul George shown that he can guard LeBron? We know Kawhi can, but for how long? You know, and then now you've got what? Are you sticking Paul George on Anthony Davis? I just I think that just the matchup nightmare that that LeBron and Anthony Davis present 
is going to be a lot for any team. The Clippers are the most well-suited in the West to guard it, though. And the Clippers having this funky offense that they run, which isn't – I mean, I don't know how much you've dug into the tape on the Clippers, but their offense is kind of formless. There's a lot of ISO. They'll run some pick and roll here and there. They'll kind of depends on who's on the court for them, exactly. to be honest. Yeah, they don't have, like, a system. And so it's hard to prepare for. I think that that gives them an advantage. I mean, again, Doc Rivers is a super creative coach. Uh, one of the five best X and O's coaches in the league. He's completely underrated in that respect. Um, so I'm with you. I, I think that when it comes to trying to solve the problem of, of a given basketball game, I'd put my money on Doc Rivers times out of ten. It's just really hard to go against the guys that the Lakers have. So, let's talk about who the guy you're most excited to see with the Clippers is. I think Landry Shamit. It's not excited is probably the wrong word because I'm only excited to see like the really great players. But right. as an analyst, the guys I'm really curious to see are going to be these these like secondary role player guys. Like if Landry Shamit can defend at a good level and make shots. That's a game changer for the Clippers. In the same vein, Jamichael Green uh, being able to take on tough assignments and knock down shots from the corner, that's an enormous game changer. By the way, like, I actually think the Clippers have more bodies to throw at LeBron than anybody because they have Kawhi, Paul George, Marcus Morris, uh, and Jamichael Green. No one is going to stop LeBron. The key is finding guys that have at least, like, a requisite level of power, strength, and lateral quickness to, like, somewhat contest and bother him, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, They have more of those bodies than anyone else can. I'm not saying that they have a better chance to – I think they have a better chance to slow him down than anyone. No one's going to totally stop LeBron. But they at least have bodies that over a seven-game series, I can see potentially wearing a little bit more. Sure. I mean, I, I think that uh, having having the, the bevy of disposable bodies that they have, I, I definitely think that's a benefit. Um, but, they're, I mean, their defense, we, we know that they're going to defend. We right. just know that they're going to defend. Are they going to get enough offense out of the role players who can also defend? You know, like, Lou Williams is great. But you can't yeah. have Lou Williams out there in crunch time. Not against yeah. the Lakers. So no, you, you can't. Need Landry Sham- like, Landry Shamit is going to have to play. And so they the need only, him making shots and innings. So that's what I need to see right off the bat. Yeah, the only way that you can have Lou Williams out there is if Frank Vogel starts being willing to run these, like, 4-1 or 4-2 pick and rolls. Or he shows an unwillingness to be able to run these 4-1 or 4-2 pick and rolls where Alex Caruso and Contavious Caldwell-Pope are the screeners and trying to get mismatches on LeBron. Uh, mm-hmm. That's basically, I think, what Lou Williams will become. He'll become a magnet for opposing teams and switches, unfortunately, despite the fact that in a theoretical one-on-one game, the Lakers do have guys that Lou Williams can guard. But again, this is kind of where I come back to with Vogel with the Lakers is I need to see just a little bit more creativity. It's not that he's been bad so far. I think he's been spectacular so far. But in these seven-game series is we're getting that little edge in terms of matchups becomes so essential. I just want to see how he adjusts to doing that. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think it's going to be very important for their title hopes. 
we've talked a lot, just mainly because of me, about where we think the Clippers will succeed. Where do you see their biggest problem being come playoff time? I mean, I worry about the grind, you know, um, especially with a guy like Kawhi who, who has this injury that he's just living with. What's it going to be like for him? I mean, no travel is great, um, but the layoff, you know, uh, was he able to, to continue his rehab during during the hiatus? What's it going to look like when he's, you know, he's going to be playing a lot um, here in, a, what, three weeks? And so I, I'm really curious to see how he holds up. Paul George says his, his shoulders are fine, so I'm not, not as worried about those as, as I was a few months ago. I mean, it, it seems like they may actually have benefited quite a bit more than other teams just because their two main players you know, have, have yep. got these injury issues. So um, it's going to be very much about, like, how does Kawhi hold up and how does this team, how does team defend and score at the same time? Let's move to – I'll give you the floor. What team out of Denver – Utah, Oklahoma City, Dallas, and Houston. Do you want to move to next? I mean, let's do Denver. Okay, so yeah, Denver is in uh, third place right now. They have Nikola Jokic. What do we think of Jokic's game as he comes back from coronavirus? Because a lot of what makes Nikola Jokic so effective is the fact that he is just stronger than mm-hmm. basically everyone and can kind of carve out his position where he wants, he's a lot skinnier right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I don't know if that has to do with something that he was purposely doing or if it has to do with complications due to coronavirus. He was getting married. He He was getting married? Yeah, so he had to get skinny. Love it. I love that move. Um, (laughs) So I just wonder what his game looks like if he can't just, like, constantly carve out position at will. Yeah, I, I didn't think he looked skinny. You know, I saw the photos. I think that jacket made him look a little skinnier than he is. I mean, I just saw the photo of him in the airport. He looks like a normal basketball player. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't look out of shape like he did at the beginning of the season. No, not at That's all. That's a plus, right? Um, yeah. Obviously, we don't we don't know how anyone's bouncing back from, from COVID, so I don't want to speculate there. But I will say I, I don't think that the body composition change is going to be a negative, if anything, I expect it to be a positive. Uh, as far as strength loss or anything like that, he's going to have time to get a to get his body where it needs to be. He's got a few weeks. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm just not as worried about that stuff as as most people. Um, the COVID aside, you know, the things that I actually could speculate about with him, I, I think that Jokic again, like the way he controls the game, is unique in particular being an offensive fulcrum from the center position. Like, there's just not a lot of guys doing that. Inverting your offense quite a bit. I mean, you know, this year, you know, they're top 10 offense. They were 12th in defense. That's not good enough to win a title, you know, being like the number nine offense. That's not good enough. So I need to see them take it up a notch on one of those ends. They either need the defense to step up a little bit more, which is is doable. They've got some guys on their roster. Paul Millsap, Jeremy Grant, that, and Gary Harris, if he ever remembers how to shoot, um, that, can, that can play both ways. Uh, can, they, can they bump one of those up? Can they get the scoring into the elite territory? Can they bring that defense up to a top-five level defense? That's going to be the key for this team. Yeah, especially given the slow pace that they play, mm-hmm. I think it probably does have to come on the defensive side. 
mm-hmm. more than on the offensive side. I think that they're going to get enough half-court offensive execution. Like Part of the reason that their offensive rating is as low as it is is because they get fewer transition opportunities, which generally leads to just slightly less effective offense. Uh, their half-court offense is very, very good, obviously. So I just wonder if they can trust their offense enough just with Jokic being as effective as he is at diagnosing the defense and finding those holes on offense just automatically by having his presence. And as long as Gary Harris is spacing the floor and uh, they're getting enough production from their role players, Michael Porter is obviously just going to be fascinating to see if he can bring something of an X factor in a playoff series, right? Mm-hmm. Can they bring it enough on defense with those guys like a Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Paul Millsap? Uh, can Jamal Murray bring it at a high enough level? Can Will Barton bring it at a high enough level to where they're getting two-way play, kind of like you said? I think that that is the most fascinating part of this roster. That's tough, man. It's going to take Barton and, and Murray committing to not dying on screens. Yep. Like if they can just commit to sticking <laughs> sticking with the guy that they're guarding, going for rear view contests, like, you know, like just old school hook and trail. Like that's it. Just stay on the stay on the guys you're guarding. It would go such a long way. I mean, they like to use Jokic in in a unique way for a center, you know, where they have him show really high because he's not good at protecting the rim. They've got Paul Millsap, they've got Jeremy Grant who are more than adequate at doing that. Part of their issue and it makes Jokic look bad, is you've got to have those guys at least fight to get through the screen. I mean, you're gonna you're not going to get through all of them, but they've at least got to fight. They can't not just totally die. That's that's going to be the key at the point of attack. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, who is the guy on this roster that you're most excited to look at? Man, I mean, you know what? I'm going to break my little tradition here, and I'm going to say Jamal Murray. I, like, if, if Murray can do what he did... You know, in in last year's like at the end of last year's uh, playoff series against the Spurs, where like they just couldn't stop him um, out of nowhere, like it was like the second half of games, he was just incredible. He needs to bring that kind of level of play every night once the playoffs hit. If they can do that, I mean that that's going to elevate their offense quite a bit. Yeah, I mean you remove Murray's first three games from the playoffs, so basically from Game Four against San Antonio onward, he averaged twenty three points uh, while shooting forty three, thirty five, and ninety four uh, mm-hmm. in terms of a shooting line. Uh, didn't turn the ball over at all. Basically, he had a near four to one assist to turnover. He was that was the best Jamal Murray we've seen yeah. in his career so far, mm-hmm. and I do not know based off of his play this year. If we're going to get that this year, uh, it is so essential to Denver's hopes, both short and long term, that Jamal Murray figures his shit out because he frankly was not nearly what we anticipated this year. I know he was better uh, inside the arc this year. Uh, He just didn't quite take the leap that we were really hoping, I think, from a guy like that, I think that he really especially just needs to become a more consistent shooter. Like, th- this is the guy that needs to be up around 38, 37 and a half every year, like he has been in 2018 and 2019. Him being a 35% three point shooter, 
even though a majority of those are on pull-ups and do make him dangerous in the way that defenses have to deal with him, I just don't think it's nearly as effective, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of, of Jamal Murray. I, I, I don't, like, I worry about that contract for them. I think that, you know, there it's got some albatross potential because of, you know, it, it was really a potential-based contract. And it's not that he's a bad player. It's just, is he going to live up to that deal? Uh, you know, I've got some concerns there. But um, he's he's the best option that they've got. And when he's clicking, that team goes from very good to elite. And yep. and that is, to me, that that's a testament to how good he could be. He yeah, just needs and, to click more often. Yeah, and I, I want to bring up Michael Porter as well. Uh Whatever they can get from Michael Porter is going to be fascinating. Uh, yeah. He is, based off of the flashes he showed, and I'm someone that more and more when I evaluate guys, I'm trying to evaluate less and less upon the flashes and more about what they bring consistently. Uh, Michael was a lot of flashes this year. There was the great stretch uh, that he had. I want to say that it was what it would have been something like late December through like January, something like that. He was really, really good and seemed like he was starting to take that leap. And then February gets hurt. And then in you know March, he's kind of getting back into it, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Whatever they can get from Michael Porter is just going to be so, so essential to learning more about what the ceiling of this roster is. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you look at his per 36 numbers, uh, per 100 possession numbers, they're pretty good. I mean, he, he didn't play a ton. He, I mean, he was like... 13, 14 minutes a game, something like that. Um, but but when you if you can aggregate those numbers, now they're obviously who knows if he can maintain them. I mean, 19 points a game, almost 11 rebounds, not a great passer, right? Um, no. But a steal a steal and a block, shooting 50, 40, 76, that's pretty good. Um, I'd take that if he could give it. So I'm with you. I, I think definitely want to see more Michael Porter. I mean, exact same way we felt all season. You know, I want to see more Michael Porter. Get Michael Porter out there. I think that if this team is gonna is gonna get to a championship level, he's that wild card that could get him there. If yep. he is a if he's the player that he's shown extended flashes of, it was not yeah. just like one or two nights. I mean, he 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 had moments this season that were, you know, he really popped. And, and then when no, you look no, at the I'll, I'll give numbers, you the yeah, I'll give you the numbers here from. Uh, I believe it was December 28th through the end of January. He was playing 21 minutes a night, averaged 12 points, six rebounds, uh, a steal, and half of a block per game while shooting 54 from the field and 48 from three. Uh, If that guy's doing that in 21 minutes a night, that's an enormous, enormous boost for this Denver Nuggets team. But And you're right, it was an extended flash, but it needs to be a little bit more than that for them to take the leap. And part of that is going to be opportunity. You right. know, I mean, like this is he, – he didn't play at all his, fir- his first season uh, because of the back injury. They were easing him in, obviously, this year. I, I think that, you know, th- he's one of these guys that, that is poised to take a leap just because of opportunity. Yep. You know, still don't know if Millsap's going to be back. Not sure what they're going to do with Jeremy Grant. Like, this could be their starting four next year. Yep. I don't know how that works on the defensive end. But I know on offense, it has potential to be potent. Let's talk about Houston, because Houston, to me, is the epitome of 
uh, Tobias Funke in Arrested Development just yelling, let the grand experiment begin. Uh, I, thought, like, I thought this was going to be a jorts conversation. <laughs> I mean, James Harden, that, that man probably rocks jorts a pretty real amount of the time, I would imagine. But I don't think he's a never nude, though. I don't. Probably not a never nude. Uh, the Rockets are in a really interesting position because they're just zagging while the rest of the league zigs. They're going to play this super small ball style of play that I think is really going to, I don't, it's almost like I wonder if the stoppage hurts them more than anyone else because it gives teams a chance to legitimately adjust over the course of three months. Like if I was Utah and I was Oklahoma City and uh, Dallas and I had a chance to play Houston in the first round, I would be I would have probably put one of my advanced scouts just on figuring them out uh, over the course of like a two week period uh, during this three months that we've had off, four months that we've had off, I guess. Uh, I think that they could genuinely be hurt by not getting a chance to take as many teams by surprise as what they were going to get a chance to. Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got that fastball changeup sort of dynamic, depending on what they want to do. Um, obviously, Covington and his defense is a wrinkle that just kind of unexpected. When they made the move to go small, they're weird, and weird can sometimes win in unexpected ways. And I mean, if you think about just how unique this situation is, maybe the weird team is the one that everybody should be really worried about. <laughs> right? I kind of like, agree with that generally. Yeah, the, I mean, listen, man, Daryl Daryl made a calculated decision to lean into the weird, and it worked for a little while. Again, the defense has to tread water, and they can't get destroyed on the glass, but. You can see this working, especially against, like, Utah or Dallas or Oklahoma City. Like, first round, I'm not worried about it. It's what happens when they face a team that can really just punish them with size. Yeah, I mean, the Lakers are going to be able to do that in theory. But, like I said, that first game against the Lakers did not go super well for the Lakers. The Clippers aren't really going to punish you with size, but I think the problem is that the Clippers can just... The Clippers can just do what the Rockets do better than the Rockets do if they really want to. Right, right, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean that that's the other that's the other dirty little secret again. Like the Lakers can go small, and LeBron James is your four, and Anthony Davis is your five, and that's just you know there there are things that you can't combat, and that's one of them. Right, right. Uh, Denver though is going to be interesting. Like Denver being able to toss Jokic out there, that's. You're going to have to put P.J. Tucker on him, I think, first and foremost, because I don't think Covington is strong enough to deal with yeah. Jokic. Uh, and you want Jokic kind of being able to freewheel and help more than you want P.J. Tucker to be able to. And how has P.J. Tucker fared against Jokic on switches and stuff? I, I, none stand yeah, out I don't to me. remember, to be honest. That's yeah. not I, I something like that I have. Yeah, I feel like it's gonna it's gonna be kind of that's gonna be one of those questions that that get gets answered obviously if they play, but um, I, I just don't see that going well for Houston. And, and so like when you break down individual matchups, you start to feel less confident, or at least I do, start to feel less confident about Houston and and their puncher's chance. But man, Harden is so good. If Westbrook's playing the way he was, you know, after December, it's gonna be tough, man. This is this is. A little more wide open than I would give it credit for as I sit and break down, you know, each team individually like this. Um, I do think just being weird gives you a a little bit of an advantage. 
So this year, uh, P.J. Tucker matched up Nikola Jokic for seven minutes of game time. Uh, Jokic shot five of nine from the field. Uh, looks like he scored 16 points. That seems like a bunch to me, um, but that seems a little bit like, I don't want to say off, but that seems like too much to me. Well, to where, a sample. Yeah. Um, and then I'm going back to 2018 as well to check it out. Uh 19 points in eight minutes of matchup time, uh, nine of 13 from the field for Jokic. And, and I'm just not looking at the assist numbers right now. I would imagine that they were not. Yeah, I mean, four assists, it looks like, and four turnovers. But um, I would imagine that's not actually eight minutes of game time, though. I would imagine it's a little bit more than that in terms of matchup minutes. Yeah. Uh, either way, I don't think it's going to go well. Yeah, I, I don't see that as a favorable matchup for Houston personally. Yeah, uh, PJ is a fighter. He's just six foot four, and that makes his life much more difficult against a guy like Jokic, who frankly can just pass over the top of him. Unfortunately, um, right. yeah, I'm intrigued by Houston. I want to believe in Houston because I want to believe in this style of basketball as much as anything. I just don't know that I can get there. Uh, they can beat certain teams. Like I think if they get matched up with Utah in the first round. I think I would pick Houston. Uh, if they get matched up with Oklahoma City, I think I would pick Houston against Oklahoma City. I just don't know how they match up uh, with Denver, Los Angeles, and the Clippers, unfortunately. Exactly. Exactly. I, that's the same space I'm in. I think Houston pretty solidly in the group just behind L.A., L.A., and Denver. Yeah. But they're uh, who's the guy? by themselves. I don't, I don't think anybody else is close. Who's the guy you're most looking forward to? Covington. Can Covington defend the way he did post-trade for them? Yeah. I mean, there was a stretch there where he seemed like the best center in basketball. And if he can do that, I mean, for three months, they can win a title. Yeah, for me, it's Russ. The terror that he was on to close the season was just – like we. I don't think he got nearly enough credit for mm. the unbelievable, just monstrous terror that he closed the season on. Uh, I want to say it was, what was it? It was from like January 18th onward. Uh, Russell Westbrook averaged 32 points while shooting 54% from the field and, you know, eight and a half rebounds a night. He was just so ridiculous. Like, it's almost like he's, I know that they have PJ Tucker, but it's almost like he's a four at times in that scheme. Like it's a very, it's bizarre the way that they utilized him. And it was so, so fun to watch. Uh, he was just so great to close the season after uh, people kind of questioned him to start, it felt like, in Houston. For sure. Definitely. Let's uh, let's move to – let's go to Dallas because I find them interesting. Uh, this mm-hmm. might be kind of a short conversation, though, if only because I don't know that they're ready for this, to be honest. Like, I just don't know that the defense is going to be there. Well, they're not going to have the defense, right? Like, I mean, that is – I can guarantee that. But they do have a historic offense. And, right. again, these teams that are heliocentric – shout out to Seth Part now uh, – the Rockets, the Lakers, you know, where you just have the one primary creator who, who makes – you know, stirs the drink for everyone else. Uh, Luka is that. Those other guys need to be able to knock down shots. If they're knocking down shots, they're going to score. Now – Defensively, I think almost everyone's going to be bad uh, defensively uh, across the league, at least for the first few weeks. 
So they actually have a pretty good shot, I, I believe, at improving their uh, seeding for the playoffs and getting a more favorable favorable matchup. So I, I think they've got this puncher's chance in the first round. And, you know, that is kind of a hot take because they're not like a great basketball team. They're good, and they can score. Um, but the defense and the lack thereof is a big issue, except I think in this – you know, unique circumstances where we're all theorizing is what it's going to look like. I mean, my theory is the defenses are all going to be bad, so who cares as long as your defense is awesome or offense is awesome. I do think their offense is so good that they, they've got that puncher's chance in the first round. I'm intrigued, I think, by the incredible amount of offense that they can provide. I'm going to be very interested to see – what teams do to just full-on sell out against Luka Doncic to stop him. Because uh, I would imagine that's what's going to happen. Like, teams are going to put every single bit of their energy into stopping Luka Doncic uh, in a matchup over a seven-game series in a way that they just really can't prepare for in the regular season, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know that, let's say Luka is at 80% of what he is because opposing teams are just totally moving all of their energies toward stopping him. I don't think this team has enough to really hurt opposing teams uh, unless Kristaps Porzingis really just takes that leap into being the true second banana on offense that I think we all think he has potential to be, but he wasn't that yet this year, unfortunately. Oh, I think by the by the end of, of this early season I think he was I mean he 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 had a pretty good year and and, you know it started off rough I mean he had all this time off he basically had two years off Um, by the time he worked himself into shape he looked pretty good I mean he had that stretch where he missed with with the knee injury and you know things things weren't amazing after that Um, but as he and Luca sort of figured things out they they improved quite a bit together and and I think I think KP is ready to be the number two guy I, I think he's there um, you know, he's had more time to get healthy. Let's see how he looks once they start conditioning and stuff. Uh, but I, I, I don't know, man. I'm pretty confident in Porzingis. I think so, he's the second best guy on a championship team. Yeah. Let, let me kind of couch what I was saying in this. My point is more, I don't think he's ready to be the second best player on a title team right now. I know that from like, February onward, he was a total monster. Like he averaged like 25 a night mm-hmm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was very good. I'm just not convinced yet that he is at the level. Like the second best player on a title team has to be what a top 20 player in the league offensively. Something oh, I don't like know that. About that. I, well, maybe maybe top 30. And, and again, like that that stretch from the like the third or so of February until the season ended. He was legitimately fantastic. I mean, he, he was might have been pretty he close. Was like, yeah, he was like a top ten player during that that month. Now, with that being say, said, it's it's a month. It's it's right. one small sample size. But um, to do the stuff that he does for the team, protecting the rim. I mean, you know, uh, almost three and a half stocks a game during that stretch. Twenty five points. It just and he also is a real floor stretcher because he actually does shoot and make threes. But he shoots deep threes, too. So, yes. you know, what he's doing with his gravity is important for them, too. Um, yeah, I, I, think I, I, think he's, I think he's pretty solidly a, 
a good second banana. Yeah, for me, it's more that I think they need someone that can legitimately create, like a second option that can legitimately create offense on their own. And I don't know that he's ready to do that at the level that they need him to. I think he'll get there. I'm one of the biggest Christoph Porzingis fans you'll find uh, in terms of his on-floor impact. Like, I think I've legitimately called him like a future Hall of Famer before. And I still believe that as long as he stays healthy and continues that health. Uh, I just want to see a little bit more in terms of offensive creation from him in a playoff setting whenever the opposing team is legitimately just selling out to stop Luka constantly, which they're going to uh, at the end of the day here. So he would have been my guy in terms of the guy I'm most looking forward to. Is that kind of your pick as well? Yeah, Porzingis for sure. I, yeah, I, let's, at this point, I know what I'm getting out of Luca. Porzingis needs to show that he can do it on a bigger stage. Let's move to Utah because they're just in a very weird spot without Boyan now. Um, I don't know what to expect from this team because of the just very strange play that has been Mike Conley uh, thus far in Utah due to the (laughs) abbreviated nature of his season. Obviously, you know, when you get hurt and you're in a new spot, it can really disrupt the chemistry that you're building with your team. But yeah, to me, Mike Conley is the absolute story here. I know that for their future, it's, uh, you know, can Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell coexist is, you know, Tim McMahon and Tony Jones and, you know, a lot of the great people at The Athletic as well have written about but to me, for this season in particular, it's what do they get out of Mike Conley and can they get enough out of him to uh, get that secondary piece of offense they need next to Donovan Mitchell in the backcourt? Well, that's the, that's the big story for them, I think. It's can Conley defend and can Conley make shots? You know, um, I do think that his struggles were a little overblown to start the year. He wasn't shooting the ball well. Yeah, but he was pretty good doing just about everything else. He was fine, um, but, it, but the shots weren't falling, and and he's there because they need someone that can stick shots next to next to Donovan Mitchell. Um, you know, the 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 bright side, I guess, to to Bogdanovich being out is that you know Joe Ingles is going to start. He was awful coming off the bench. He makes Rudy better. He makes Donovan better. He makes all these guys better. I I actually think Joe Ingles is the second best player on that team. Um, Woo! Yeah, I mean, I don't like even ahead know. of ahead of Donovan. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know yeah. what he does for them. I, I, I'm not there. Is important, but okay, that's fine. I'm, I'm what he does defensively is important. Uh, obviously, as a secondary playmaker. I mean, and this was what we what we wanted to see out of Bogdanovich, and we did see a lot of that. Bogdanovich calls his number his own number a little bit more often than than Ingles does, and I think that that affected the flow of their offense. Uh, they, the guy that they're really missing is Derek Favors, though. So. You know, like who's yeah. going to help them? Who's going to help them get that defense to where it needs to be? Like Gobert is is essentially a walking top five defense on his own. But as we saw this season, he really can't do it by himself. Like Favors is very underrated for for what he brought to to that team as on the defensive end. Um, so they got to figure that out. They got to figure out how to defend, and then without Bogdanovich. They're going to need Ingles to, to do more playmaking. They're going to need Conley to do more playmaking. They're going to need Donovan to do to do more playmaking for others as well. I, I think that's sort of an under underutilized skill of his is creating stuff for other people. Like he needs to, to dip into that more often and and maybe 
get a little bit more egalitarianism in that offense. Yeah, uh, I agree. I do think that having both Ingles and Conley out there help him in regard to just being able to focus on scoring in a real way, uh, or at least focus more of his attention on scoring in a real way. But you're 100% right that you know at the end of the day, teams are going to sell out to try and stop Donovan in the playoffs. And I don't know that he has shown, other than that Oklahoma City series uh, when he was a rookie, uh, when I don't know that teams really knew what to expect from him, that he's been able to shoulder that load full-time in the playoffs. That's the whole reason why they go out and get a Mike Conley and uh, a Boyan Bogdanovich, right? Because they thought that it would really help shoulder the load. This was a team I was really excited to see in the playoffs because you're right, Rudy Gobert is a walking top-five defense, even though they haven't quite been at that level this year. Um, Their offense was actually sneaky really good this year. Uh, Mm -hmm. That was a top-ten offense Mm -hmm. this entire season, uh, in part because Rudy's gravity – vertical gravity that is not necessarily uh, space and gravity in part because they had so many options they could count on Joe Ingles can run a side pick and roll Boyan Bogdanovich can beat his guy you know either from the mid post or from you know attacking a closeout at the three-point line or from just being a 40% three-point shooter Uh, Mike Conley especially early in the season he presented something that opposing teams really respected right and I think that That put Donovan, I think that it's no accident that Donovan had his best season this year. Uh, It's because there was less attention on him than there was last season, right? So Mm -hmm. them not having Boyan around, I think, is a significant downgrade. And it's going to be on Mike Conley now to really showcase, and frankly, on Jordan Clarkson a little bit as well to be able to be that secondary offensive option and tertiary offensive option that can really take the pressure off of Mitchell and allow them to get efficient buckets. Yeah, I mean, look, the the Clarkson benefit is that your offense doesn't have to change just because Donovan goes to the bench. Um, True. That's really nice, and he played really fantastic basketball once he got there. Uh, Conley is the linchpin of this whole thing. If Conley can hit shots and relieve some of the playmaking pressure, uh, you know, kind of take a little bit of, of the weight of the playmaking that Bogdanovich carried this season when Conley's shots just weren't sticking and teams weren't respecting him as much as, as we expect. If he can do that, if he can be, you know, Memphis Conley, this team could actually make a little bit of noise. But without that, I just don't trust him. Yeah, and I think it's reasonable not to trust them. Uh yeah, I think that you're right. Conley's the guy that we have to watch. I think that we can honestly kind of move on from Utah and go to Oklahoma City. Fascinating group for a lot of reasons, uh, both short and long term. I'll just kind of give you the floor. I mean, what are you looking forward to seeing with this group as a whole? Well, I mean, look, Chris Paul in the playoffs. That's that, I'm just pumped for that. I'm just excited to to see Chris Paul get to continue this season. I mean, I thought he was fantastic this year. Um, I have him on my All-NBA team, third team. I, I thought he was just uh, fantastic. And, and, and him and the com- the combination of him and Shea Gilgis-Alexander has been a lot of fun, especially at the end of games. You know, they've just been really, really solid in the clutch. I mean, they, they were like two of the three best players in crunch time situations this season. So, uh, Chris Paul, man. The, the joy of watching Chris Paul play basketball in the playoffs. That's, that's what I'm really excited about. Yeah, similarly to Damian Lillard that we talked mm-hmm. about earlier. 
and in a different way, right? But like, right? It's just you know that's a guy who, you know, in the playoffs. I mean, I, I always think of that that year that the Hornets played the Lakers in the playoffs. Was that 2010? 2011, 2011, yeah, and something he just, like that. you know, he put that team on his back, and and I, I think about that quite a bit, and uh, I'm really excited uh, to see him do that at this advanced stage of his career, especially since he's got, you know, Shea Gildas Alexander there, he's got guys that can that can actually, you know, take a little bit of the load off of him. What's Gallinari going to look like? I mean, there, there's a lot of questions on this team, but this was one of my favorite teams to watch all year. What did you think of the Lou Dort contract? I, I just want to, like, fucking destroy this contract real quick for two minutes. Go ahead. Please. Uh, I think it was an embarrassment that he signed this contract. But his agent, uh, yeah. His, yeah. Lou Dort is a starter on a playoff team who has a two-way contract. That guy had a lot of leverage to be able to kind of dictate where he was going to go. The worst-case scenario for Lou Dort is... The team doesn't convert him. He is like stuck in uh, Oklahoma, or not stuck in the bubble, not playing, or just not in the bubble, and then hits restricted free agency. In what is the worst case scenario for him in restricted free agency? The worst case, I think it's like two years, five million, right? Yeah, like there's absolute worst, yeah. There's no way that a team doesn't take a shot on him, right? The best case scenario, I think, was probably like three years, 15 million or something like that. Like it wouldn't totally stun me if he got a deal like that. Um, well, there's a lot of bad teams that are young that would take with, you know, that are going to have some cap space that would have thrown that kind of money at him. Yeah. And he ends up signing a deal that is a four year deal. The first of which will go through this year. Next year is guaranteed. The final two years are non guaranteed. So basically Lou Dort is getting a deal that guaranteed him like two and a half million dollars or something uh, over the course of four years, and then doesn't allow him to hit free agency again uh, for three more years after this one. That deal is one of the worst contracts I can remember seeing. And this isn't even like saying that Lou Dort is a surefire like rotation player. Even I think he probably is. But there's still some uncertainty about what he is offensively, right? Like, he just fucking might not be good enough, right? right. He, he might not. But there was no way that a team wasn't going to pay this offseason to find out if he was good right. enough and wasn't going to pay him at least twice what his guaranteed money is while allowing him to get to free agency sooner. I, here's it, the thing, man. Like, like you, you pointed this out from the jump. And this is – your argument can stop with the thing that you first said. This is a starter on a playoff team – on a two-way contract. He's 21 years old. Those guys, I mean, he was he was going to make a good amount of money. And if nothing else, he was going to have flexibility. And now it's it's gone. I and mean, you're right. It's it's an awful contract for him. Yeah, like I, I don't understand what what their deal was. Like I, I don't understand why they would remotely make this decision on Dort's part. I think it was an embarrassment. Um, in terms of the actual play, yeah, I'm most excited to see Chris Paul because I'm a Chris Paul stan. I've been very uh, unabashed about that on this podcast throughout the years. I'm an enormous fan of Chris Paul. Uh, any chance that we get to watch him play uh, is a gift, I think. Uh, he yeah. is just such an incredible player. But I will say, 
how Shea reacts to a playoff environment is so much more important to the future of the Oklahoma City Thunder. So I, I am going to be really intrigued by that. Do you think this team has a chance to get to the second round of the NBA playoffs, or do you think they're one and done? I think they're probably one and done. I don't. I mean, they're they're a fun team, but I, you know, the talent just isn't there, and talent wins. Play I think the if they one. got if they got Utah in the first round. Wow, we're really got... disrespecting Utah here by making them the team that everybody wants to play. <laughs> yeah, I think it's them and Dallas, to be honest. Like, I think that them and Dallas are the two teams that teams want to play. With Dallas, it's because they feel like they can exploit their defense. Mm-hmm. And with Utah, it's because they're without Boyan. They're going to have to adjust to that. And we've kind of shown in the playoffs that Rudy Gobert is – something less than the sum of his parts in the playoffs uh, if you can put him in tough positions. You know what? I'm going to push back on that because I don't think that that's actually accurate. Yeah, part now pushed back on this on me uh-huh. too. And yeah. I, yeah, I, mean, I understand the point, but continue. Yeah. It, is more, it is more about his teammates than it is about Rudy. Uh, and as a matter of fact, like um, two years ago, I want to say he played more minutes during the playoffs than he played in the regular season. So... You know, there is this thing where there's like two or three teams that can run him off the court, Houston being one of them, and, and solely about his teammates and him, though. Right, but I think that the problem with Rudy is that his skill set makes it harder in the playoffs to field an efficient offense because you essentially can't have a non-shooter out there with him. Mm-hmm. Just the way that you have to build lineups and build rosters now it, it, it almost makes it harder on offense, I think, yeah. than on defense. Like, I know it that is. he gets the shit on defense, but to me it's on offense that's the bigger problem. Well, yeah, well, it's definitely not the defense. Um, the, the issues are on the offensive end. He doesn't get the ball in, as a role man enough, so he's just not a threat. Like, you know, at a certain point when you watch Rudy, when you watch him play and you watch him getting frustrated not getting the ball after, after really opening himself up with the fantastic screening, and his good, like his timing on a roll is fantastic. He's a very efficient roll man. I mean, yep. he's a one-dimensional player. I think that he can make more reads than we give him credit for on the short roll. Um, you, you know, you, he can't shoot at all. He's gotten but, a lot better on the short roll. I will yeah, totally he, agree with you on. He that. can even put the ball on the floor a couple times and and, and get to the hoop. I don't know if I would go a couple times. I would say he can pound dribble once and get to the I'm, basket. I'm okay with him taking two or three dribbles. You know, I've seen enough out of him that I feel confident he can do it most of the time. Um, I, no, don't do it against Anthony Davis. Right. Right. But I, I think that I'd rather have Gobert on the court than uh, an extra shooter. I would prefer having Gobert out there than an extra shooter, but... And that's why Rudy plays more minutes in the playoffs because he is a better player than having the extra shooter out there. But it then cre- Rudy's presence necessitates having another shooter on the court at the expense of someone else. I think depends. I mean, listen, uh, if if Conley's going to like stick shots and play make, th- this is this is a moot conversation. Well, I, I actually love the way that they built this roster in the offseason. Like, oh, I oh, think yeah. that absolutely. I think Lindsey and Zanuck did a fantastic job surrounding. Rudy and Donovan with all of the spacers in the world. Cause we assume that Mike can shoot. Um, we assume Ingles can shoot. We assume Boyan can shoot. Like that's three guys that you can play a competent lineup with that really space the floor and give them a ton of offensive upside while maintaining defensive aptitude. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
I just feel bad that Boyan's not going to play and we're not going to get a chance to see that. Like, I think that it makes Utah's life a lot harder in the playoffs now. Maybe. We'll find out. Um, let's go to, I think that we're actually through the important, like super, super important teams now that are, you know, have 40 wins. We got through Denver. We got through Utah and Oklahoma City. Uh, we got through Houston and Dallas. And then obviously the top two teams as well. Uh, this race for the eight seed is kind of interesting with Memphis, New Orleans, Portland. Uh, I, I would say those are the three teams that I like the most certainly to get there. I don't really think Sacramento is very good, uh, even though they closed the season well. I don't think Phoenix is very good or, frankly, even really has a chance to chase this. I don't know why they're in this mix. So those three teams I think are fascinating. We've talked about Portland a lot. Let's talk about Memphis now. Memphis, I think you could make a case, was as helped by the stoppage as anyone else because they were really getting banged up uh, yep. right as the season was closing here. Yeah, getting Jaron Jackson uh, time to recover from the knee issue I, I think is going to be huge for them. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this. I don't – all right, and I hate to do this because this is like some very NBA Twitter terminology, but I don't think anyone realizes how potent Jaron Jackson's offense is. Oh, it's ridiculous. He's on pace to be the greatest big man shooter in the history of basketball. I actually agree with you on that right now. Other, Well, let's rephrase. I think Dirk will continue to be the greatest big shooter in NBA history. I don't think that Jackson will exceed that. But Dirk didn't get started until he right. was like 24 or so yeah. uh, on that this guy, This guy's 20 years old. He's taking seven threes a game and hitting like, what, 42% or something like that. He's just... Pretty insane what he's doing. Um, and, and when he was not out there, you, we saw that drop off from them. Um, he's still, and, and I, I still think his greatest talents lie on the defensive end. He's still sorting himself out there. Uh, part of it has been injury issues that have held him back, but also the fouling stuff. So I'm hoping that he spent a lot of time, you know, in the film room working out these mistakes that he tends to make. But yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I think getting Jaron healthy. Getting those other young guys, again, past that rookie wall, past that young player wall that, that all these guys seem to run into late February, early March, and geared up for a playoff run, I think it's going to be super important for them. There are actually a lot of really important things uh, for Memphis to get. Memphis getting the experience of getting a playoff run here I think would be so great for this young core. Uh, John Morant figuring out what – He's going to be in the playoffs. I think he's going to be very good. I think he's going to be very, very good. He has that floater game uh, in between that is going to be really tough for defenses to gauge. Uh, I would imagine the teams are going to be pretty happy to just kind of let him shoot threes. But if you give him time to shoot from distance, he will he will take them and make them. Like, he's not a knockdown shooter yet because he doesn't have that quick, rapid twitch release. But you go way under on a screen to try and cut off his speed to get to the paint, he'll hurt you. He will hurt you from distance. Uh, absolutely. The guy that I'm most intrigued to watch is the Anthony Melton because I think he's one of the five or so free agents that I'm most interested in uh, this offseason. His play basically coincided with Memphis turning their entire season around, and I don't think that's an accident. He is a restricted free agent in Memphis, just given that they have John Morant, given that they have Tyus Jones already – and given that 
you know, I don't know that they can afford to drop like a crazy amount of money to keep the Anthony Melton while maintaining the flexibility that I think they should be trying to maintain going forward. I think that the Anthony can make himself a lot of money if he has a really great eight games and then a solid playoff series. What kind of what kind of money are you expecting other teams to offer? If he has a strong little run here, I mean, if you're Atlanta, like the number I threw out for Atlanta was like four fifty five, which is too much for DeAnthony Melton. But if you're but getting you overpay to get a guy like him, you overpay to get a guy like him, and you overpay to get a guy who fits the age curve and age mm-hmm. timeline of your team and who fits with Trey Young, who fits with Kevin Herter, uh, who fits with every every single thing that you need on your roster. You need a backup point guard. He's a little bit better at the two, obviously, yeah. but you can play him as a backup point guard next to someone like a Kevin Herter who can also take on some pick-and-roll possessions right. and a Cam Reddish who I think they hope can take on some pick-and-roll possessions long-term. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and You can got, play him next to a Trey Young as well. Right. Yeah. And you can play him next to Trey Young as well, as we've seen this year with John Morant. So I'm terrified of a big offer sheet from Atlanta if I'm Memphis, because I I don't know that they should totally break the bank in the way that Atlanta should, given that they have more depth there. Right. I I do know that Memphis internally values DeAnthony Melton very highly. Um, That trade is referred to as the DeAnthony Melton trade. Yep. Um, It is like... That Josh Jackson was, you know, the the name that people knew because of where he was drafted. But that trade was about DeAnthony Melton. So, hundred um, percent. I do think that they went into that with clear eyes, um, knowing that if if things panned out for them, it meant it panned out for DeAnthony Melton to to get a good deal. So, I think when you're Memphis and you're not really going to attract a bunch of free agents anyway, you probably are just as likely to, to say, you know what, uh, we'll overpay now to keep this guy here um, as, as Atlanta is. I, I think that, you know, th- this is a team obviously thinks it's going to be able to compete next year, right? They Look at what they're doing this year. They made the playoffs, or at least it seems like they're going to make the playoffs. So I just don't know if you're going to let anyone uh, take that guy away from you. He, he's important to their plans. I don't know that, man, it's tough. That's a really tough decision. And, like, can you get Josh Jackson for a little bit cheaper, maybe? And can Josh kind of provide a very different skill set, but mm-hmm. a similar amount of, like, havoc and uh, transition play that makes DeAnthony as special as he is, right? Right. Say it's playmaking from Josh Jackson? Some well. playmaking, yep. Like, it's... I'm not saying that like the Anthony is some incredible player, but like, yeah. and he is a really good player. Don't get me wrong. Like, I just don't want to, you know, gas him up too much, right, for what he right. is. But knowing what I know about how that team views the Anthony Mountain, I would be pretty shocked if if he. I mean, it would have to be I, like 455 would probably he would probably have to they would probably have to let him walk at that money. Um, but if you're Atlanta and you have that much cap space, like, what are you? What are you? What better? opportunity are you going to use oh, it on? With you. I, I think it's smart. I, I think it's a really smart idea in our Delete 8 Outlook series. Like, DeAnthony Melton's name continued to come up for a lot of these young teams, uh, or at least the teams that, that could use some youth and some talented youth, you know? Like, this is this is sort of why you do the rebuild. Um, the issue being, you wouldn't be paying him like a rookie, or, or like he's on a rookie contract. And so, 
the extra value that you have with a guy who's still developing. I mean, DeAnthony Melton is not – it's not like this is going to be – like he's not an all-star. So you're going to be paying him like a like a starter. So he better be able to come in and start and, and produce day one. And I, maybe he's not ready for that yet. So I could see some teams that maybe uh, are ready to compete that might talk themselves out of going for DeAnthony Melton and maybe going for a – a safer and potentially cheaper option. And Atlanta falls in that. I know Atlanta wants to be competing for the playoffs next year. So do they feel like taking a swing at D'Anthony Melton makes more sense, or it would it be better to maybe get a more veteran guy who they might be able to get a little bit cheaper? Uh, for Memphis, we don't really think they have a chance to knock off the Lakers, or really it's the Lakers. I, you know what? I don't think, like, my head says no. But my heart says, maybe. You're, you're, a, you're a foremost Memphis Grizzlies enthusiast, David. I Taylor. am. I am well known for my love of the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, I think this team is fantastic. I think they're, they're very well coached. They're, you know, they've got this versatility. Um, they can match the Lakers' size. They can't match the Lakers' talent or the Lakers' skill. But they can match their size. John Morant, at the point of attack, is going to be really a, a, a tough guard for whoever they've got out there. I mean, I, Caruso is a good is a good defender. Can he can he hang with John Morant enough and force him into the help enough for for Anthony Davis and and LeBron and Dwight to to do their job? I'm not sure. We're going to see. I like I'm very excited for that series. If I'm robbed of this series because of a play-in thing, I'm going to be very upset. Yeah, but if you're robbed of it from a playoff thing, it means you're likely either getting Damian Lillard trying to drop 50 a night against the Lakers, or you're getting uh, Zion Williamson in the playoffs in all likelihood. And, and so, I don't think either of those teams have a chance against the Lakers. And I, I you know, and again, my head tells me it's going to be a 4-0 sweep, but I just think that the the Grizzlies have that little bit of spark and that little bit of a chip on their shoulder that might make them a little bit dangerous. I will say I think New Orleans is more dangerous than Memphis in a playoff series. And it's because of Drew Holiday's ability to take on really tough assignments. Now, he doesn't really have a natural assignment against the Lakers, but we've seen him perform at a high level offensively uh, in the playoffs previously. And I think that his shot making and shot creation ability is really going to be essential to them. I think Brandon Ingram is kind of tailor-made to play in the playoffs as long as his game continues to uh, stick at the level that we expect, uh, given what we've seen this year. Uh, he might take a year to adjust in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but the way that he can get to his pull-up jumper, and there's not really a way that you can contest it because it has such a high release point because he's six foot nine. man, that guy, is, that guy I think is going to be a really, really good playoff player. And that's before we get to Zion Williamson, who in his last... I think it was uh, like 12 or 13 games before he or before the stoppage was averaging like 26 points a night on 60% from the field shooting. This team is scary, I think. We'll see. We'll see. I'm excited either way. I'm just I'm just happy to be talking basketball right now. It's Me too. Good. It's great. It's very good. I do want to um, give you the floor to talk about Derek Favors real quick. Oh, well, I mean, look, again, man, Favors defense is fantastic. He is a large part, and look, this is not disrespectful to Gobert because I do think Rudy Gobert is a top five defense on his own as long as everyone else is average. Uh, but Derek Favors was very important for what they did defensively 
in Utah, and I think the Pelicans, he's kind of the perfect center to pair with Zion. Yeah, he is. I mean, he really is. He's competent. He can be your helper. He can, you know, he's not going to get exposed on the perimeter. He's a smart player. He can do whatever you need on offense. I mean, I just think Derek Favors is an undervalued player in the league for some reason that I can't wrap my head around. I think there's a case he's the most underrated player in the league. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I wouldn't, I couldn't so argue against it. He, look at what he makes and look at what he does on the basketball court. He, he's extremely impactful, good passer, really good defender, good shooter. I, he just does everything pretty well. Now, he doesn't pop necessarily. You know, like Zion, when you watch, you see Zion. Yep. You might not see Derek Favors for a couple of plays, but he's out there doing stuff. He's out there and, organizing and the defense. Right. Like he's out there uh, talking and constantly making sure guys are in position. He's out there uh, able to play both on the perimeter for a couple of steps. He's not like an elite-level perimeter defender. And being able to defend the rim at a really high level, despite not being necessarily an elite shot blocker. He is right. – uh, it's all positioning with favors. It's all little stuff, but he's so essential to what they do. Um He's a more fleet of foot Brooke Lopez yeah. defensively, right? Like, Brooke gets the way – like, he's so good as a, as a backline defender because of his timing on blocks. Even if he's not getting to the ball, he's altering the shot, and he's taking away the pass. It's yep. huge. It's huge. I think New Orleans, their schedule's pretty easy. They have a real shot to get this eight seed, I think, and I am incredibly excited if they do because uh, I want to see this young team – I'm, I understand that Memphis is also an incredibly fun young team. Mm-hmm. I just don't know what it is about New Orleans that I'm more excited about New Orleans. Whereas you get more excited about Memphis, I get way more pumped about this New Orleans John Morant is the most exciting player in basketball. Oh, man. See, like, I'd rather watch Zion than John Morant. No. John Morant is just, like, I mean, he's, he's six foot one of fuck you. And I, I can <laughs> respect that, right? Like, I can respect that sort of energy. Uh, he's trying to end your life every single time he gets an opportunity to dunk. He is already the best missed dunker in the league. Yeah. I love John Morant. I'd pay $10,000 to watch John Morant live. Oh, uh, I feel like I feel that way about Zion Williamson. Like you can't borrow Zion your Williamson. money to pay that, but yeah, I get that. Uh, <laughs> with Zion Williamson, man, like it's, he's just so different in comparison. Yeah. Like, I feel like we've seen John Morant types before like Derek Rose, when Derek Rose was young, it was kind of a similar deal, right? We've never seen someone who is six foot six, two hundred and ninety pounds, who is also literally the best athlete in the NBA. Oh, I agree. I mean, he, listen, he's a freak, a complete freak of nature. Um, but I, I just think Jaw's more more fun right now, and I love watching Zion. But I'd take Jaw today, as far uh, as fun, as far as yeah, fun. yeah, as far. As I think fun. Zion is probably going to be the best player in the league. You know. In a couple of years, right? I don't know if Jaw's ever going to hit that level. Um, Jaw might be—he might be the like—he might lead the league in assists next season. Um, yeah. But I don't—I don't think he's going to have the same aggregate impact that that Zion will. But for right now, that guy is so much fun, man. And they both have a great personality, but Jaw's personality shows more on the floor. Uh, right. And I think he has a chance to like be the king endorsement guy oh, in the NBA I, at some I point agree. as well. Well, he's he's like a um a a less angry appearing Russell Westbrook, <laughs> right? No, plays really, with like, the same he, intensity though. Yeah, and and he's so he's so you know skinny, 
<laughs> comparatively. Uh, but, like, fierce, man. Like, yeah. all the stuff that everyone loves about Russell Westbrook, just never intimidated, always going 100 miles an hour, you know, just reckless abandon, all of that stuff. And Ja smiles a lot, right? Like, that's super right. marketable. <laughs> He's going to be he is gonna be the king of endorsements. I am right there with you. I love that guy, man. And, like, watching him and the way he relates to his teammates, like, you can already see he has a lot of respect from – from the the players that he plays with, so yep. clearly, like, I I love that guy. I, I could sit and gush about John Morant all day. Um, I think this team is going to be terrifying next year. I think they are a legitimate contender next year. Uh, maybe not this year. I what, think wait. they're going to struggle. Who? The Pelicans. New Orleans. Oh yes. Championship contender. Mm, let's say conference finals contender. That's that's the hottest take I've ever heard. I think that they are going to be awesome next year. I Conference think that they're going to, I think that I'm not saying they're going to get there. I think that they're going to be a contender to get there in the same way that like So you think they're you know, going to be like the 4th or 5th seed? I think they're going to be like Denver was this year. Next year. You're crazy. I, I, I think that, that I think Zion's trajectory is legitimately going to be so good to where he's averaging 30 points a night, and then they have a secondary option with Drew Holiday and another secondary option with Brandon Ingram. Well, uh, does the Brandon Ingram fit bother you at all? It's not very good on the court. Not as much as you would think, because I think that what Zion, what makes him so unique is that he's able to get his points via dirty work in a way that is going to be very successful or just based off of spacing the floor, spacing it all out for Zion. Cause teams basically have to respect Brandon Ingram when he's behind the arc. Now, uh, if you space it out for Zion at the 18 foot range, his first steps in power, uh, combination is going to allow him just to blow by and get to the basket. Uh, and then when he leaves the floor, you Brandon who can take over the offense. Or if a team does shut down Zion, Zion's a good enough passer to kick it out to a guy like Brandon who can go create his own shot in isolation, who can go create his own shot um, out of a ball screen scenario. And then if he gets stopped, you can kick it out to Drew Holiday on the other side of the court uh, while Zion relocates into the dunker spot where he's one of the best rebounders in the NBA. I'm a little bit worried about fitting all of Zion, Brandon, and Lonzo Ball on the court at once. Right, right. because of shooting concerns. Like, I think that the steps oh, that Lonzo took this year as a shooter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The steps that Lonzo took this year as a shooter are very encouraging, and I think they're really, really important. But he still doesn't get the respect from defenses as a shooter. I think that if he has another year shooting, he shot 38% from three this year on a large number of attempts. If he has another year like that and teams really have to respect him as a shooter off the catch in the way that I think they probably should now, I I think this team is terrifying, man. And by the way, this means that they also have to keep Derek Favors, too. I think keeping Derek Favors is so essential to their defense. I agree. Uh, I I know that they have Jackson Hayes. Signing Derek Favors to like a one plus one. He's not there yet. Right. Yeah. He's just not there yet. Right. Um, I think this team wins 50 games next year if they keep their players. I get that that is an enormous leap. I get that it's it's probably going to be like a 15-game leap based off the pace that they were on in terms of wins and losses. But you give a full season to Zion Williamson, I think that's probably worth six wins uh, in comparison to what would have been, what, 
what would it have been? It would have been 35 games or so. Yeah. Something like that. I think that's probably worth five wins on its own. Uh, and I think that getting a chance to play uh, with all of these guys is going to allow him to be even more valuable defensively because he was kind of a mess on defense this year. We can just be honest about it. Um, yeah. You get Derek Favors in there. You get Drew Holiday. You get uh, all of these guys. I really think that it's just going to be uh, – I'm not going to say it's going to be like curtains or anything. Like I think that the Lakers and Clippers are still better teams. But I think this team has a chance to be the third best team in the West as soon as next year. That's incredible. Talent. I mean, the talent is there, man. It's a good mix of vets and I, young talent. I, I'm not arguing the talent. Like, I, I really am not. I, I do think that they are. Just, they really are incredibly talented. But just, just so much stuff that would have to go right. You know, and I'm not saying it's impossible at all. I, I mean, who expected Memphis to make the playoffs this year? Right. I didn't. I right. thought they were going to be the worst team in basketball. I mean, Memphis made a, what would they have been, uh, probably a 30-win jump, something yeah. like that. Huge. Um, well, no, I guess they weren't like a disaster last year. It would have been like a 10-win like jump. But what young teams are ever any good, right, right. like this? And, and so my expectation was that team didn't even really want to be good. Right. So I'm trying to think of examples of teams that have made leaps like this. Um based off of, like, the presence of a star. Uh, it's probably not often, because I'm saying that they're going to win, like, 15 games more than what they did last year. Uh, that's an enormous number. I understand that it's an enormous number. I just think they're that good. I really genuinely believe that they are going to be, uh, like, a 50-win team next year. I mean, wow. it, Milwaukee's a good example. They won uh, 16 more games from 2018 to 2019. When Giannis took the leap, I'll, and but here's the thing: I think the rest of this roster is better than the rest of the Bucks roster. I don't think Zion's anywhere near Giannis yet, but I think the rest of this Pelicans roster with Ingram, Drew, Lonzo Ball, JJ Redick, Derek Favors is better than what the uh, Bucks have on their oh roster. Oh my god! No, we disagree completely on this. Completely. Really? Yeah. See, like I, First but all, I think Chris it might Wilson be Drew Holiday. Chris Middleton's an all-NBA player this year. Yeah, I agree. He was the top, I'd say he's a top-20 player in the league this year. For sure. I, I mean, I mean, he's he literally is like one of the six best forwards in the league. Right? I but mean, I would say Drew Holiday is a – I would say Drew Holiday is a top-30 player. Chris Middleton's better than Drew Holiday. But mm-hmm. Drew Holiday is really freaking good, man. Yeah, I mean, but also like Bledsoe, very good this year. Bledsoe, probably all-NBA defense this year. Bledsoe, Lopez, probably all-NBA defense – Lopez Brandon Ingram the made the All-Star game year. this year. Brooke Lopez might be the defensive player of the year. Yeah, but then you just compared him to what Derek Favors does defensively, too. Yeah, Brooke's better. Lopez, Don't get me wrong. I, Brooke's better, but, right. So I, I think that, I mean, Dante DiVincenzo is very good. Uh, yeah, give me, give me very good. Give me Lonzo I, over Dante for sure. Oh, no way. Oh, we disagree completely on that, man. Oh, wow. no way. Lonzo's I mean, a lot better was, than Dante, I think, right If this was the right case, now. they would have been Lonzo, better than they were, I think. Lonzo is a lot better than Dante right now because Lonzo is one of the best passers in the league. He's one of the best transition players in the league. And he's a better defender than Dante, which is where Dante provides a lot of his value. And he's a better shooter than Dante right now. Not a better rebounder. Not a better defender. Is he? I think Lonzo's probably a better rebounder, too. I don't think he is. <laughs> I don't think he is. 
Dante is Dante's a great rebounder, too. Rebounder. I agree. But, man, I think that you're underrating Lonzo a little bit. Lonzo was really good this year. He was. He was. I agree. He was probably better than DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo was pretty good this year. Dante was great. I don't mean to disrespect Dante, but it's like a difference of it's like a difference of tiers to me. Like I had Lonzo at like twenty five on my rookie scale rankings, and Dante was probably like fifty five or so. Hmm. Yeah, we're going to disagree on that uh, on the the roster thing there. I think the Pelicans would have been better than they were this year if that were the That's, case. Even so, how many? Giannis. So here here'd be the question. How many games do you think the Bucks would win without Giannis? Um, I mean, I think that they probably would win. What did, what did they win? Uh, they're on pace they to win pace like 65, 65 or something like that. They probably yeah. win 50. I don't think they win 50. I don't think Gian, I think Giannis is worth more than 15 wins. He might be. But, you know, I'm just taking a guess. I, I think uh, – I do think that they, they could win 50 games without Giannis. They're still pretty good I, without Giannis. Yeah, I think it's like a – Huh. It's definitely a 500 team, at least, in the East. I would say that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely say, like a 41 45, 45 games. Yeah. Um, I think that if you put the Pelicans in the East, ease up their schedule a little bit. Because, by the way, the Pelicans have the hardest strength schedule. I believe the Bucks were in the bottom five in terms of strength schedule this year. Uh, I think that it's probably about even. I think they're probably about a 500 team. You put Drew Holiday, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo, J.J. Redick, Derek Favors, Josh Hart on a team in the East. A team probably oh, wins the 40 games. They're the eight seed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And plus you give Brandon and Lonzo more room for growth. Maybe four, Maybe 50 games is strong. Maybe they win 47 next year or something like that. Okay. That's where I'm at on the Pelicans. I'm very high on the Pelicans. So very, not very like high. a real finals contender, but they're going to be no. the team that looks like OKC 2009. No, teams are going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They look like OKC 2009, kind of. A little bit different because they have a little bit more veteran presence on that team, mm-hmm. uh, on the Pelicans team. But yeah, I think they're going to be fucking awesome this year. Uh, like you look at what Dallas did this year. Dallas was on pace for what? Um Probably forty-eight wins, something like that. I think they were going to win, uh, maybe fifty. Because what they had sixty-seven games, they were forty and twenty-seven. It's probably like between forty-eight and fifty. So that's a fifteen-win improvement for them mm-hmm. this year. Like, I think it's going to be a similar deal with New Orleans. I really do. Um, wow. These last I, two I, teams, look, you got me fired up about it. I'm pumped. I love when these young teams are good. So like, I'm I'm excited. So do for I. That. I, if you're going to be like, I I would love to see more teams like just get a jump start on being good. If that makes sense, even if it's just yeah. one year and then they're out the next year and then they come back, I, I'm all about it. Yeah, get get some it's, new blood in there. Maybe the better way to comp the Bucks and New Orleans teams because I like did it opposite would be like Chris Middleton is considerably better than Brandon Ingram right now, like by. Just because of the defense and the efficiency oh, yeah. as an isolation oh, yeah. scorer, he's he's just a lot better than Brandon right now. Um, Drew Holiday is better by a pretty good amount than Eric Bledsoe, though. Mm-hmm. I don't disagree with that. Not as big as the gap is between Middleton and Ingram, 
but right. I think it's I think it's a gap for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's talk about these last two teams relatively quick because it's Phoenix and Sacramento. Phoenix, I think, is a little bit more interesting because we're going to get to see DeAndre Ayton, and the leap that DeAndre Ayton took this year was awesome. I think these teams should be using this time to just kind of tighten some things up and see. What I want to see. I want to see Ayton stretching the floor. I want to see Ayton trying to do stuff off the dribble. Can I? I don't want to see that. Actually, I do. I do. I, I want to just. Ayton was showing us so much stuff. Uh, especially on the defensive end. But I want to see what he's got on the offensive end, man. What if he's like a secret unicorn? I think he might be, but more than that with DeAndre, I want to see him just fucking punish people on the block. I think that too often he decides to – I don't want to say float because I don't really think he's a floater necessarily, but I think that he decides to sit in the mid post a little bit too often and not just use his ridiculous frame and body to just – kind of punish people in the paint when he has that ability. Like, I think that that's more what I would want to see. Well, no, I just want to see the versatility, right? Like, I mean, I like his little mid-range jumper. Obviously, he's very skilled in the post. But I do think, like, why not work in some trail three opportunities for him? He's yeah. got the touch. Let, let's see it Let's see it in practice, you know? Like, use him uh, almost a little bit like, like the Spurs used to use Boris Diaw. Let's see it. Let's just see what happens. Get weird with it. Experiment. Because, you know, you're getting to the point where other teams are going are gonna to be passing you over. And they already have to a certain degree. I mean, we already don't really talk about the Suns. We talk about the Pelicans, the Kings, the Grizzlies. Well, the Suns were supposed to be that up-and-coming young team. Right. So why not see what you got, man? I mean, because eventually Devin Booker is probably going to you know, want to go to a contender. So. Let's let's start getting weird and and maybe you maybe you stumble onto something with Aiton that you didn't realize you had. Yeah, and I want to note with Mikhail Bridges too. Um, Mikhail was really good to close the year. Uh, he looks like a very very real starting caliber player in the NBA. Um, mm-hmm. DeAndre, the thing with DeAndre as well is just defense. He was really good on defense this year. He wasn't like an elite level center defensively, but he was actually like a league average starting center. He showed it. Yeah, year. and in year two with the time he missed. He's shown me enough growth that if by the time he's like 24, you told me he was the best defensive center in the league, I could say, I mean, he must have improved quite a bit. But you know what? Okay. That wouldn't shock me anymore. He has come a very long way since Arizona. Yeah. I don't think I would even go that far as someone who's a big fan of it. Oh, he probably isn't going to get there. But I'm saying I've seen enough growth in a short amount of time that – it, it leads me to believe that there's still more that's untapped there. Uh, the last team is Sacramento. Uh, I like De'Aaron Fox a lot. The conversation that happened on Monday uh, where the Kings continue to call Marvin Bagley positionless frustrates me. he's a point like, guard. He's a point guard. He's a center. Like, what are you doing? Why, why do you hurt me, Sacramento? <laughs> this, is, this is like uh, – Porzingis playing the three in New York. Why? Why? <laughs> Just why? <laughs> You've got old school basketball people. They see a guy who can put the ball on the floor three times in a row and but like not dribble Luke, it off their foot. Luke was not an old school basketball guy when he was like in Golden State. Like he's he's seen. He's not the head coach. I mean, he modern, was an old school kind of guy in L.A. Oh, he did so weird stuff. In LA. He did stuff. Like he did. In LA. I don't think he's very good. I'm just going to say that. 
No. So this is uh, he's a, a classic case of my argument against hiring assistants and thinking that you know anything about them. The only time yeah. you know anything about anyone is if they were in your program. So, like, you're elevating an assistant or they ran their own program. And so, you know, like, you hire a guy like Luke Walton off the bench from the best team in NBA history and you give him an opportunity to coach and, you know, you're surprised that the results aren't any good because he had no track record. You have no idea what he's good at. Totally but I'm with you. I don't. I, I think I've seen enough that I don't think he's very good. Yeah, it's actually pretty bad to be honest. Mm-hmm. I th- like we talk about often that uh, the coaching level in the NBA in general, I think, has gotten higher over the years. Oh yeah, not a lot like of I, bad coaches anymore. I think there are very, 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 very few bad coaches uh, in the NBA right now. I have some concerns with Luke Walton. Uh, he he might be the one right now. That really worries me. Uh, I do want to mention De'Aaron Fox was awesome to close the year. I thought he was great. Uh, mm-hmm. Buddy Heald was really starting to figure things out to close the year uh, after he got moved to the bench. Uh, the Bogdan decision is going to be really interesting for them this summer. They're probably going to have to pay him a pretty decent amount of money to stay. I am going to be very, very interested to see. Uh, I don't even know if it's what this team looks like, but... I'm just fascinated to watch all of this. I don't even know how to even describe what we're about to see with Sacramento because they were just so weird throughout the course of the year. I mean, I I don't know. They were so good once Fox was back and healthy. Yep. They had so much momentum. I could have seen them catching Memphis. Out of the three bubble teams, like teams on the bubble there, uh, I think that they had the best chance of catching Memphis in the – in the real regular season. Part of that because Memphis was struggling with the injuries a little bit, but but Sacramento really got their feet under them. Uh, having a, a point guard that looks like he's going to be an all-star, perennial all-star point guard, that's such a big deal. Um, yep. And, I, I mean, I, I think I give them just as good of a chance of, of being in that play-in game as Portland, New Orleans, and Memphis. Yeah. Now, and I, then, I think Memphis is pretty much in. Yeah, I think I agree with you that Memphis is going to be the team. Uh San Antonio, I'm not super enthused about watching. No, to be no. honest, um, like we've we have not li- we've literally not mentioned the Spurs once on this episode so far. With reason, with good reason. I'm just not excited. Their about best player is not going. What am I supposed right. to do with that? Yeah, the best player is not going. I mean, they weren't very good throughout the course of the year. <laughs> like, yeah, Demar. I will say, like, I there's part of me that really enjoys watching Demar Derozan. Uh, I understand that he becomes like this whipping boy on the internet. Uh, I kind of enjoy just watching this. It's a weird style of play to say that you enjoy watching, but I enjoy watching his uh, craft and how he gets to his shots now. It's really impressive to me, the way that he's able to create his shots. Interesting. Like just just the way that he moves off ball to position himself uh, – into a spot where he is comfortable, I think is exceptional. I think that he is uh, he has a little bit more craft off the bounce now than what he gets credit for. There's something special too about just like watching a mid-range killer and the way that the NBA is now. I'm not saying it's like wildly valuable. I'm just saying that uh, aesthetically, there's something about it that I enjoy. I'm with you because it, it, it reminds us maybe of what we grew up with, and the marquee guys could do that, could operate in that range. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what it is either. Uh, 
but yeah, like DeJounte Murray, it's going to be important to track him. He's certainly the guy that I want to see. Um, I want to see what his jump shot looks like coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's only going to be an eight-game sample, but I just want to continue to get as much information about his jump shot as possible. Uh, you and I, I think both are the foremost Derek White stands on the internet. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Although we, I'm, I'm, I'm lower on him than I was. Just because I agree with you, actually. There was stagnation this year. A lot of that has to do with the the uh, backcourt situation in San Antonio and some of the weird rotational stuff. You know, the fact that we didn't get to see DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker, and Derek White all together at once, very weird. I, we will see that in the bubble. I, I'm, I'm predicting that. I, I just don't know what's going on there at all. Like, I, I don't know what their direction is. I, I am really struggling Down. to place it. Like, I... I was trying to project them for my mock draft that just came out today, by the way, uh, while we're recording this. Um, and I'm struggling with, like, who to even project to them right now. Like, I, I don't know what they want to do. Like, do they – I, I kind of know what a Spursy prospect looks like, but I don't know what to think about, like, their direction and where they see the modern game. You know what I, I mean? Like, they're not a free agent destination. So their only path to getting, to getting better – is going to be through the draft, you know, maybe some smart trades here and there. My assumption is DeMar is going to pick up his option. They've still got LaMarcus <laughs> next season. So next season, I, they're just kind of going to roll back this team. Whoever they draft most likely winds up in the G League for the season unless they somehow get very lucky in the draft. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's going to be another year of treading water. All right, Dave, I kept you too long. I'm trying to decide if I want to keep. This, we did this. go long. This is like the longest podcast I've done in forever. Yeah, I'm trying to decide if I want to make this one podcast or two. To be oh, honest. you got to make it a two-parter. Yeah, I think I am going to have to make it a two-parter. Unfortunately, uh, the freaking West bringing 13 teams. Like, come on, guys, and us. Like, we we failed this time. We we failed our uh, our plans of general quiet. I feel like in the playoffs. Uh, for the West this time. Wait, what do you mean? Just, we failed in terms of keeping things shorter and brief. Remember when I oh, told you yeah. when we were going to start this podcast? <laughs> yeah, we're just trying to, you know, keep it short and keep it yeah, light. We'll keep it short. And, well, but this happens every time you and I are on a podcast together. Fuck, man. What a... We just ramble. What a ridiculous uh, move. I, I blame myself. This is why you're a better yeah, host than fault. me, Dave. This well, is why you're a much better host I than I I keep it tight. I keep it tight. <laughs> Dave, tell the people uh, what's going on because you have a good uh, piece of a new project that's coming up. Yeah, so, um, well, first of all, uh, the Athletic NBA show. We've got all of our biggest and brightest voices now on one podcast feed. It's a huge deal. Uh, I know you're going to be popping in on Nerder quite a bit um, as as the season progresses and the postseason hits. Uh, You know, we've got... Buds, Basketball Buds, hosted by Zach Harper on Monday. We've got Tampering with Sam Amick on Tuesday. We've got Hoops Adjacent with David Aldrich and, and Wozni Lambre on Wednesday. We've got this new show from Ethan Strauss and Marcus Thompson on Thursday. And Nerder with me and Seth and Mo have moved to Friday. Um, is like literally an action-packed week of pods. Um, everything's going to come out the day that it's supposed to, which is really, really nice for me because it means I know exactly what day all the shows that I want to listen to are coming out. Um, so we got that. And then, you know, the Daily Ding is going to be ramping up. As soon as the games start, we'll be back to our, our every morning uh, right there in your podcast feed. So 
big stuff happening at the athletic. And then, you know, we're we're gonna finish up our Delete Eight series. Me, Danny LaRue and, and Seth Part now. Uh been looking at all the teams that were left out of the bubble and what they should be you know, the the questions they should be asking themselves, the the free agents they should be exploring, um and, and just taking an assessment of what they had this season and trying to look forward. And that's been a lot of fun and, and people seem to enjoy it. So uh we're gonna I think the plan is we're gonna do everybody before it's all over with. Go to The Athletic. Go read all of that great content. I have a new mock draft up. You can go find that there. Uh, I also am going to have a coach's write-up on the Kentucky prospects this uh, on Wednesday. And then additionally, I'm going to have uh, maybe another one coming at the end of the week here. So uh, keep it locked at The Athletic. Uh, I think that uh, I guess that I don't know if I'm going to make this two parts or not. I might just force people to listen to all two hours. That do feels it. like a bad idea, doesn't it? Dave? No, do it. That's a that's a uh, that's a calling the Pelicans making the finals next year sort of shot. Just do it. Yeah, like here's the thing. I mean, I have another podcast scheduled uh, already with Spencer Perlman, who I think is very smart. Uh, I'm very excited to talk to him about the NBA draft, and that's coming on Thursday. So I kind of think I just have to let this roll today. I, I'm with you. Just got to let it rock sometimes, man. Uh, Dave, thank you for coming on, spending so much time with me. This has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, We will talk soon, though. Bye.